The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome to Francis Watch. This is a special edition. Your Excellency and Father, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Happy to be here, Stephen, as usual. We normally only do Francis Watch once a quarter, but we had such a, shall we say, shocking action of, of Francis. And that's quite saying something because the man is capable of shock. But there is so much shock here that we had to do a special episode for our listeners. And this is regarding the so-called change to the so-called catechism uh, regarding the death penalty. And I'm going to start the episode by reading the, the rescript, which was approved on the 11th of May and reads as such. Recourse to the death penalty on the part of legitimate authority following a fair trial was long considered an appropriate response to the gravity of certain crimes and an acceptable, albeit extreme, means of safeguarding the common good. Today, however, there is an increasing awareness that the dignity of the person is not lost even after the commission of very serious crimes. In addition, a new understanding has emerged of the significance of penal sanctions imposed by the state. Lastly, more effective systems of detention have been developed, which ensure the due protection of citizens, but at the same time do not definitively deprive the guilty of the possibility of redemption. Consequently, the church teaches, in the light of the gospel, that the death penalty is inadmissible because it is an attack on the inviolability and dignity of the person, and she works with determination for its abolition worldwide. Your Excellency, I'll give you the the ability to respond first. (laughs) Sure. Well, that is loaded, loaded with error. I mean, it just, where do you begin? Let's see, where to begin? First of all, it is part of revelation that the death penalty is permissible. In the Old Testament, you have the death penalty for various acts, such as murder in Exodus, kidnapping also in Exodus, bestiality also in Exodus, adultery in Leviticus, sodomy in Leviticus, and being a false prophet in Deuteronomy, and prostitution and rape in Deuteronomy. So this is the law of God. Let no one say, oh, that was abolished with the old law. That's what Luther said, that what was abolished with the old law was all of the Levitical ordinances, that you can't touch a dead body without getting impure or you can't, you know, the issue of blood, you are impure. All of that was abolished, but not the moral law. This concerns the moral law. And God could not make these things law unless it were legitimate to do so. And therefore, the presence of these things in the Old Testament is a clear uh, indication of the fact that this is a completely moral thing to do. Secondly, in the New Testament, 
St. Paul, first of all, says that all authority comes from God, but he also says in Romans this, for he is God's minister, meaning the head of state. He's referring to the head of state, the king. For he is God's minister to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, fear, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath upon him that doth evil. The whole thing is contained in that statement, that he is God's minister and he bears the sword. Now, what do you use the sword for except to kill someone, right? So he's God's minister and an avenger to execute wrath upon him that doth evil. So this idea that it is against the gospel is just a lot of malarkey and baloney. It is totally in accordance with the gospel. Uh, Nor did our Lord condemn it when the woman was caught in adultery. He simply exercised mercy upon her. He did not condemn the death penalty as something inhuman. He said nothing about it. And his silence is to say, well, yes, you're acting in accordance with the law. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. So he's not saying you should not cast any stones. He said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. So there, there is no biblical, either in the New or Old Testament, foundation for saying the completely idiotic and baseless thing that Bergoglio has said in that rescript. And then there are arguments of reason as well. And and all of the pre-Vatican II Catholic theologians say exactly the same thing, including St. Thomas Aquinas, namely that uh, that the state has the power from God to execute wrath upon him that doth evil, and that the state may deprive someone someone of his life uh, in order to protect the common good, just as you might cut off a hand in order to protect the entire body. They all say exactly the same thing. So both from the point of view of revelation and reason, and from also the teaching of Innocent III and of Pius XII, both of them upheld the death penalty, Innocent III in his profession of faith to the, uh, that was imposed upon the Waldenses, Uh, He was a pope at the beginning of the 13th century. And then Pius XII defended it and and, uh, upheld its its morality in an allocution, uh, one of his allocutions. So uh, this, you know, what they're saying is is utter nonsense. And they are basing it on uh, the Freemasonic idea of the dignity of the human person. And we can get into that shortly, but their objection to it has nothing to do with the gospel (laughs) because the all sacred scripture approves of it. And uh, it is something uh, that really belongs to the universal ordinary magisterium of the church, as most of the church's morality does. Uh, To this, I'd I'd add, Your Excellency, that when I um, heard the statement and, and did even just a little bit of, of uh, research, what occurred to me is that one could virtually write a book 
on on this particular question on the uh, how rooted as you say in divine revelation in uh, the old testament and in the new testament this is and how constantly it's been taught uh, by the magisterium of the church and by the church's theologians and how uh, the principle has been consistently also uh, put into practice even where in situations where the church had had some say so about it i mean there's there it's, it seems one can come up with uh, an endless series of citations Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. So uh, you have that. You have the our Lord rebuking his disciples for wishing to call down from heaven the fire from heaven on the Samaritans to punish them for lack of hospitality. But while our Lord, while he, d- he does speak mercy, nevertheless, as you say, he doesn't reprove the practice of the use of the sword, right? That, uh, in, in fact, he quotes against the scribes and the Pharisees approvingly uh, the line about speaking evil of uh, father and mother, let him surely die, and so on. So there's, there's one thing uh, after another in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that uh, attests to uh, how uh, rooted this is in revelation and the teaching of the universal ordinary magisterium. Also, let us add Leo X's condemnation of one of Luther's propositions uh, that it is not lawful to hand over heretics to be burned. That's condemned in, uh, in the, in the uh, bull against Luther. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, so the church obviously approves of the death penalty uh, you know, in principle, at that time, for the for heresy, which was a, a crime both against the church and the state. Well, and it, and it wasn't just uh, for heresy, and it wasn't just in theory, as, as you say, Your Excellency. I, one of the things I did in preparation for today's episode was look up the number of people who were executed uh, in the papal states, and yeah. that is a lengthy list. It is not a short list at all. And in fact, the last person executed in the Papal States was executed only two months before the Italian army it was able to overcome the Papal forces. So the, the Holy See has a history of following the Catholic teaching on this, which is that it is the opposite of being inadmissible, that it is completely admissible. Even in the Vatican City State, I, I read somewhere that uh, the, the, the penal code uh, up until 1969, uh, prescribed the death penalty for someone who uh, tried to kill the Pope. Yes. So, uh, I mean... <laughs> All civilized states used it. Yes. Uh, and, and Christian states, I mean, it was just in common use from ancient times. It's only in recent times that it has been attacked, but the it's in times where the... Uh, ideas of the French Revolution have overtaken the normal and Catholic idea of the, the authority of the state. In the ideas of the French Revolution, the authority of the state comes from the general will, and that is the social contract. So that 
there is no authority of God invested in the state. It's sim- the ministers of the state are simply carrying out the general will. And therefore, it's all based on humanity. You see, So there's no minister of God bearing the sword to avenge. Uh, but it's rather just a, a mass of humanity. So, and because we're all equal, well, who do you, who are you to chop off the head of somebody? Of course, the French Revolution had, ironically, had no trouble chopping heads off. But the, uh, you know, who are you to take someone's life? Well, you could just turn around. You could just as easily say, who are you to incarcerate someone for the for the rest of his life? See, you know, which is a fate sometimes worse than death. Uh, what authority does the state have to to bind somebody and put him in jail forever? If you deny the authority that the authority of the state comes from God, well, who is a judge? Who is the, who are the police? What power do they have if you're equal, and if you don't lose your dignity by committing a hard crime? <laughs> you mentioned that point, Your Excellency, and and given that that is central in this rescript. Can we discuss that a bit, the idea, what is the church's position on human dignity and and what is that relation to this idea of the death penalty? Well, I I did research on human dignity. There are some pre-Vatican II references to human dignity, a few. Leo XIII talked about it. Pius XI talked about it. Pius X, Pius XII. Here and there, there are... Uh, references in pre-Vatican II, but they all concern the restoration of human dignity by the redemption and the elevation of of man to a supernatural state by sanctifying grace. See, so it it is not in any way uh, detached from uh, his, the redemption of mankind. But there is then the modernist uh, references to it where it is, in most cases, detached from that. It is just considered a, uh, a typical humanist idea that human beings are worth something, we're all equal, et cetera, et cetera. It is, it's a tie, my impression, too, is that it's tied in with their uh, oddball type of incarnational theology or the, 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 the idea that everyone somehow is, is, is saved by the incarnation of Christ. And that this was very much, it was, it was a theme of JP2s from the beginning, if I'm not mistaken, in Redemptor Hominus, that this is what did the trick, and there's really no exception for it. So his, uh, his take on it, obviously, uh, is quite a bit different. Now listen to Leo the Thirteenth. He uh, speaking about the Freemasons. He says religious vows and especially religious obedience are rebuked as contrary to human dignity and freedom. See, so he's talking about the Freemasons. Pius XI, many of them uh, false teachers. He's referring to even go further and assert that such a subjection of one party to the other, meaning of the wife to the husband, he's talking in Casti Canubii, is unworthy of human dignity, that the rights of husband and wife are equal. So he condemns that. The Vatican II references use human dignity to foster Masonic, ecumenist uh, agenda, 
while the true popes used it to condemn abuses such as slave commerce, and they based the dignity of man in God's having created man in his image and likeness and having given him an immortal soul. Uh, and also, as I said, as having uplifted him. Uh, in the, there, there are only nine instances of human dignity being mentioned in the reigns of Benedict XIV, the 1750s, to Pius XII, nine references. But it is already mentioned nine times in the documents of the council alone. And in the post-Vatican II documents, it far exceeds 100 counts. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Huh. Uh, and uh, 50 of these are found in, uh, in JP2's documents alone. See, so he was a big human dignity man. All right. And so I think that the, the essence of, of it, of the difference between the ecumenist, humanist idea of human dignity and the traditional view of human dignity is this. And it's perfect in a quote from uh, a Freemasonic site, and you can go to it, it's called freemason-freemasonry.com. All right, and if you look under morality, uh, morality, there's a, there's a little article on that. He talks to this Freemason, says this, his actions, meaning the Freemason's actions, even if in accordance with the moral law, will be based not on the obligation imposed by the divine will, but on considerations of human dignity and the good of human society. There it is. You see, it's for the church to talk about human dignity in the way that the, the popes did is perfectly normal. But the way you see, in this case, human dignity is, is seen as the ultimate end of humanity, uh, that, that it is the moral norm, not the law of God, but the moral norm that we have to preserve human dignity as it is understood by Freemasonic thinking. And don't forget the title of the document, the heretical document on religious liberty is Dignitatis Humanae, meaning human dignity. And, and it says that, that you know, religious liberty is a part of human dignity, is demanded by human dignity, and that this is contained in Revelation. And it gives references for it. You look up the references, and there is no mention of human dignity. It doesn't exist. All right, there's no place <laughs> that mentions human dignity in sacred scripture and in the references to, I think they refer to Pius XI, there is no mention of any relationship to this idea that you can embrace whatever religion you want. But that freedom of conscience and freedom of religion is an integral part of Masonic and humanist ideas. And that's what Bergoglio is all about. Well, it's fascinating, Your Excellency, because it, it means that if we're trying to engage in a refutation with this, with whether it's a Novus Ordo or whether it's just a casual non-Christian friend who asks you about this news item, you can't do a direct refutation because you'll have to say, well, what they talk about regarding human dignity is based on this Vatican II religion, whereas what the popes have taught about human dignity are, are not at all related to this. So as all modernists like to do, they co-op language, they change the meaning, they, they mean something entirely different. So it makes sense that they're able to change, quote unquote, change this teaching because they're using their own reference text, whether it's Dignitatis Humani or, as you, you mentioned, 
Masonic ideas. Uh, that's a way to to make this teaching hold. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. what they always do with the terms. And um, with the terms, as you say, that they can they can latch onto, uh, they read another read another meaning into it and try to get you to uh, accept the other meaning as the real meaning of the terms. But that's how they are able to manipulate the language and impart their errors. And you see that time and time again as the, the uh, method of uh, the Vatican II religion, the modernist religion. Or they will uh, typically will uh, create something parallel, some other sort of parallel term that is somehow essentially different that will undercut the term as it's used in Catholic theology. For instance, in the, the, uh, the Mass, the question of presence, if you uh, asked a Catholic before Vatican II, how is Christ present in the Mass, uh, the question would be answered with, well, he's, he's uh, really and substantially present under the body, blood, soul, and divinity, under the appearances of bread and wine. But what they did in the Novus Ordo uh, is that they took that notion of presence and they uh, co-opted it by creating other presences. So, uh, you know, so the presence of Christ in his word or in scripture or something like that, where the essential distinctions are a sort of bulldozed and everything is put on the same level. So it's, it's part, of their, part of their manipulation of language, and that's what's at work here. And in no case in pre-Vatican II teaching or theology do you see human dignity as a moral principle, or is that, that what determines the morality of an act what determines the morality of the act is the law of God, the natural law or the divine positive law. That's what determines the morality of an act, not human dignity and the preservation of human dignity. Uh, that, that's, uh, you know, and ironically, while he's going on and on about the preservation of human dignity and not you know, killing people in electric chairs, etc., he says nothing to the Irish who are about to vote in abortion. Not a single word to them, not a single word. And you know, if you count the number of people who are executed every year versus the number of people who are aborted every year, they, you know, his concern about these, you know, these poor criminals uh, you know, is, is a little bit ridiculous again. It's all this agenda, this, this modernist humanist agenda as I said many times, I don't think the man believes in God, and he promotes this this socialist, modernist, humanist agenda, making a better world uh, in which to live as Catholicism. And he detests dogma. It's a it's a dogma dogmaless humanitarianism that he preaches, and this is exactly what was predicted back at the turn of the last century under the reign of Pius X. Uh, there was a well-known author by the name of Monseigneur de la Suisse, a French author, and he he said precisely that. It, it's called the um, uh, the plot against Christianity, I think, is the uh, and uh, he says that uh, this is what they want to do. They want to replace Catholicism with a dogmaless humanitarianism. And this is all predicted and and must be rejected outright. 
and it's all based on junk theology and, and junk history uh, and, and just a lot of nonsense, what we might call fake news or, or fake theology and, and fake, <laughs> fake, <laughs> fake history, you know, fake church history, uh, you know, that to say that it's not in accordance with the gospel. Well, then St. Paul was wrong. Is that where we're supposed to, you know, St. Paul was wrong in saying that the God, that the, the head of state has the sword in order to cut your head off to be the avenger of, of God's wrath. That's wrong, you see. And then the other thing that we haven't discussed yet is that this is entered under this change, this contradiction is entered under under development of dogma. <laughs> it, it develops. It develops from something develops from being good to being bad. Right. <laughs> you know. Yes. That's development. Yeah. So that we've discovered that in fact it's bad, which doesn't say much for the catechism. Yeah. And nowhere in the history of the Catholic Church did you ever have anything that was declared to be morally right and good, subsequently declared to be bad, and obviously seriously bad to chop out someone's head off or to electrocute them. That's you know that's not a, a minor thing, and so you know that this is now a mortal sin, you know without their saying it, but it's it's obviously implicit. This is terrible. This is murder. See. Well, there's there's dozens of different paths we could go down here, Your Excellency. I do want to draw attention to our listeners who have not been listeners of Francis Watch for a long period of time, that back in, I would say, season one, if not season two of Francis Watch, His Excellency pointed out that if Bergoglio went out from St. Peter's and said that there is no God, that uh, people would still say that he is the Pope. And Father Chicada had kept kept track of the pretzel-like contortions that people are already going through, too. I think there was an article entitled, Has There Ever Been a Change to the Universal Ordinary Magisterium that was later changed uh, or found to be an error? So what they're trying to do is adapt the, the current situation to their reality instead of shifting their reality to the reality. I think the other thing, too, is the language of this rescript is familiar to any of us who've been reading the Vatican II texts or any of the garbage that has flowed out from the modernist Vatican II Novus Ordo sect, where it starts with something that sounds vaguely Catholic. Uh, <laughs> recourse to the death penalty was long considered an appropriate response to the gravity of certain crimes. Uh, and an acceptable means of safeguarding the common good. And then we get, however, yes. and then we have three statements, all of which uh, cue morality as a progress, that we've come to a new understanding yes. <laughs> uh, about good and evil. Uh, there are new things that we know about human nature now that we didn't know before, and therefore we need to change the church's teaching. And I think that's the... Uh, when I spoke with Father Chicada about this earlier this week, this to me, I can, this entire incident, I consider to be the smoking gun that Altar Girls never was, or even that Amoris Laetitia wasn't. That the phrase change of Catholic doctrine, Catholics can't even say that. It's not, it, it should, it's a double thing moment. For, no, absolutely. Uh, it is. To use Orwell's term. For a Catholic to say that, so then you have to say, well, what else are we going to change? 
you know, what else in the catechism, even that catechism of 1992, what else is, you know, it, it destroys the credibility of the whole catechism. And, and you know, a sure norm, I think they call it a sure norm of, you know, what the church. Oh, yeah. yeah. A sure norm for teaching the faith. Yes, well, you know, there are and, numerous well, articles and tweets, Your Excellency, that, that say if he can, if the Pope, it's, it's something like, if the Pope can change the church's teaching on the death penalty, why can't he change it on LGBTQ rights? Yes, that, that uh, issue was one of the first things that came up. Sure, and absolutely. Because if, if you um, allow the principle of change in the catechism, then everything is up for grabs. And I think in our discussion, Stephen, we were talking about uh, how this is, is uh, you know, read in uh, the secular press, and it's read Pope changes catechism, Pope yes. changes Catholic doctrine. Yes. And that is the message, uh, obviously, that's being, uh, that's being telegraphed. The Ladaria, who is the head of the um, Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, and others may try to spin this as a uh, development, but... Surely, when uh, Bergoglio and his buds in the Vatican uh, put this statement together, they knew how it was going to be treated in the press. But this is more of the, uh, beyond the words of the actual statement, this is another bomb. And it's, it's another mess that he's making, that Bergoglio is making, because he believes that out of this sort of mix of a uh, mess, that uh, eventually you get a development of the teaching of the church in a combination with that of the world, and this is how you make progress, etc. It's the whole uh, modernist program, but the very chaos that it it has caused and was intended to cause is like the larger part of uh, the process because it uh, it undercuts absolutely everything if you say that well pope changes doctrine in the catechism they knew that this was going to happen mm-hmm. yeah and it's a major major event uh, also i just like to add a, a footnote uh, what the catholic notion of development of doctrine is the catholic notion is that as time goes on, and as usually heresies occur, the church makes more explicit what is implicit in the original declarations of dogma. So the the doctrine of the incarnation was made more and more explicit as the heresies presented themselves against the incarnation, but always in the same sense, the same meaning as the, the First Vatican Council said. It's just unfolding something that's already there or bringing into greater focus, we might say, uh, with your camera, an object that you're looking at. It, it is more defined. It is clearer. It is, it, is, it is more explicit. That's development of doctrine in the Catholic sense, just making explicit what is already implicit, but never contradiction. I mean, the church is clear on that. Uh, uh, Pius X condemned that as a heresy in in lamentabili, you know, and uh, um, it's just a, a development of doctrine in that sense of that, that doctrines can change. And so this, this is a real bombshell. This is like a nuclear bomb that the modernists have not yet dropped up to now, that the that Catholic doctrine can be changed. And although it regards a somewhat minor issue, the death penalty that doesn't affect that many people, but nonetheless, the principle is enormous. The principle is a 100-megaton bomb. 
It is because the if you want to talk about development of doctrine, uh, your explanation is in the Catholic sense is one thing, but here the development that they want us to accept is that it goes from something that is in accord with the law of God to something that is against the law of God and is against revelation. And so it's, it's the, uh, instead of a, a deepening or anything like that, it's, it's an annulment, it's a, a cancellation, and it is a, it's a, a substantial change. We're getting deeper. We're just getting deeper into some other stuff. That, that street is a two-way street, because then you could say there's something that up to now and, you know, for a long time has been considered immoral. Well, because of what we have learned and, you know, our greater enlightenment in these times, we can now declare to be moral. Then that, that's perfectly logical. Of course. It, 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 you're, you're right. The road goes either way. Right. I, I can't help but think, Your Excellency and Father, crazy like a fox uh, he's ran into enough resistance on something like Amoris Laetitia that he picked something which there aren't, let's say, a lot of champions for. There's a lot of champions for abortion. There's a lot of champions for traditional marriage and, and the protection of that. But, you know, there's not really a pro-death penalty league. So no. he, he, he picks this issue to see what, what the reaction is. Once he's established that you can basically, he considers this sort of a backdoor using a rescript to change whatever the official teaching of the church is, then he can do this with pretty much anything he wants. And what are the Novus Ordo conservatives going to say? It's in their catechism. Yes, that's, that's exactly right. Uh, Father Letterantu, uh, our priest here, of course, who's from Finland, he pointed out exactly what you did in terms of uh, pro-death uh, penalty, etc., that this is not an issue in uh, most countries. Uh, it uh, continues to be an issue in the United States because we still have the death penalty here. So it's, it's, it's uh, in the sort of the species of like a, uh, like a trial balloon, really to see how, to see how things go with this. And uh, to see what kind of uh, reaction, because, I mean, he is not going to get a huge reaction on this, I would imagine, from people in Italy who don't particularly think about the issue, where they don't have the death penalty, or in France or in Britain. So it's, it's, it's an experiment, really, to the uh, type of heat that he's going to get from uh, conservatives here. I think in most other countries, it really won't be uh, an issue. But, uh, you know, if he pulls this off successfully, which I think that he will, uh, it can be done with many other things. Yeah, the average person in Europe would say, oh, yes, well, that makes sense. It's against human dignity. I mean, chopping people's heads off or doing you know, some awful thing like that is, is, is abhorrent. Of course, he's right. Now, they won't think about the fact that he's changed the doctrine. No, they will think no. about whether they agree with him or not. And most of them, being totally humanistic anyway and having lost the faith, would say, would say oh, I agree with that. The Europeans, especially the French, are ones to talk about chopping people's heads off. Right. Well, then on, on, top, of, uh, on top of it, uh, you know, as you say, most of them, most people are anti-American over there anyway. So they would say that, uh, oh, you know, is he crazy Americans? And that <laughs> it does not concern us, eh? 
So, <laughs> well, don't forget the uh, Muslims chop heads off. Oh and, yeah, that's right. And the, the Chinese have a death penalty. That's right. They do. That's right. So we're not the only crazy ones. Uh, yeah. The uh, but you know those Europeans who have totally lost the faith. I mean, almost all of them would say, "Oh yes, yeah, you know, no, it's not. It's terribly inhuman. It's awful, terrible." You know. Well, I, I, I don't want to speculate too much on this, URSC, but given the fact that the SSPX just had a general chapter and just elected a new superior general, I think, uh, is it wrong for me to think that they're, they're crying in their beer here, that they thought that they might have a, or into their wine glasses, that they thought they might have some sort of possibility of, uh, of something, but this, this is, uh, how can we say, inadmissible to the faithful of the SSPX? I don't think it will affect them in any way. I think they have written off, he's the Pope uh, the way Queen Elizabeth is the Queen. And that it doesn't matter to them what he does, what he says. Uh, It's not in accordance with tradition, so we don't pay attention to it. It doesn't bother us, but you know, he's he's the Pope and we say his name in the canon. I don't think it will affect them in any way. They are so comfortable in that position. Uh, that, uh, you know, they just ignore him. You know, who cares? He shouldn't do that. That's, you know, he's a bad pope. I, I think that that'll be the extent of it. Yeah, so, uh, same, same here. And not only because of the European aspect of it, but because of that underlying principle. The new guy who was elected, the double of Bishop Follet, he, he will follow the, uh, the same principle that, well, you know, this isn't uh, consistent in time with uh, what was taught before. So it can't be a universal ordinary magisterium or even ordinary magisterium. So like everything else, it goes in um, one ear and through the empty space in the middle out the other. And, uh, you know, (laughs) that's it. (laughs) Uh, No, they have solved that problem years ago. Oh, yeah. They're ready for anything. He he could come out naked on on the... the, uh, I mean, he could could dance... he could dance the tango out there with Uncle Ted McCarrick, and it's, it still wouldn't make any difference to them. No, no, he, he could deny everything. He could deny the whole creed. They wouldn't care. They wouldn't care. It's, it's, you know, he's the Pope, and, but he's a bad Pope, and, and we, we, we preserve tradition. Well, and you mentioned University of Magisterium, and I, I want to come on to that. The, the last thing I, I want to discussed before coming on to that is some father Jakarta and I are, are on Twitter and, and there's been a lot of activity on this issue. And one of the tweets I saw was something along the lines of, well, I just, I follow the catechism of the council of Trent and I, I use the old mass. So that's what I do for those listeners who are listening, who maybe attend the Novus Ordo are, are new to this. Maybe they're hearing your voices for the first time. Is that an option for, for, Someone in the Novus Ordo, they can just say, well, I, I subscribe to the Catechism of the Council of Trent, and I go to the Extraordinary Forum, so this doesn't concern me. No, it is not, because the fabric of Catholic doctrine must be without seam and without tear. For the Catholic Church to be what it claims to be, that is, a hierarchical institution that is assisted by Christ, whereby it infallibly teaches in his name and is indefectible, that is, cannot become something else. That's teaching of the church. It cannot be that unless 
the like our Lord's garment itself is its teaching is seamless and absolutely consistent and the same. If you rip that, as Bergoglio has done, not only in practice but in principle, see, I can change the catechism, I can change Catholic doctrine. If you rip that, you destroy the entire Catholic Church in that one act. You destroy it. Everything I just said about it, which is its essence, is to teach in God's name, to be the voice of God in this world. If it isn't, it's just a bunch of human beings, like a bag of marbles, making up stuff, and which has no reference to heaven or God or anything. It's no better than the Anglican Church. The Anglican Church, as Father Chicada says, at least has nice music and no confessions. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> you'd be better off there. And, <laughs> you know, if if Bergoglio, if you say, "Well, I'm going to take refuge in you know the Council of Trent or something like that," you you have abandoned Catholicism in that in that very act that I will ignore this this discontinuity of Catholic doctrine. You you destroy you blow up the Catholic Church in doing that. Yeah, the one one of the things probably that Stephen is uh, alluding to is that a fraternity of St. Peter priest in uh, Kansas City. Now, uh, for those who don't know what the fraternity of St. Peter is, it is a uh, traditionalist group that was founded uh, under the aegis of John Paul II in 1988. And these people are allowed to have the mass in Latin and in effect to have their own parishes. So the, apparently the, the pastor of the fraternity of St. Peter Parish in uh, Kansas City said the following uh, in, in a letter, uh, you may, dear parishioner, you may have read that the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith has recently announced that the Catechism of the Catholic Church will be amended to teach that the death penalty, that is the judicial condemnation of an evildoer to death by competent authority, is now to be considered always inadmissible. Leaving aside any discussion of particulars and making only reference to the general principle, such a position runs contrary to the national, natural law and the teaching of the church. The Holy See is apparently in error, and in my view, no Catholic should feel himself bound to follow the catechism in this regard. So, Say that again, the Holy See is in error, and no one should follow. In, the, yes, yes, the, the Holy See is apparently in error. And in my opinion, no Catholic should feel himself bound to follow the catechism in this regard. What <laughs> other things are, do we, can we not follow? Like, yeah. <laughs> well, well, that's exactly it, the jaw drops, right? When you hear something like that, what has happened here, obviously, is that this part of diversity in the post-Vatican II church, the idea of diversity in, in doctrine holding contradictory doctrines, is something that has gotten, as it were, down to this level. Yes. Because you can, have, uh, you can have the old liturgy, and you can have all of this frou-frou, uh, and uh, the, uh, you know, the, the beautiful vestments, etc., and the piles of lace, uh, uh, but the, uh, when it comes down to the 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 uh, catechism and the essence of the faith, you know, it's 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 gone. You're not bound to uh, to follow it. Yes. Yeah. Well, to further to further adapt your your Anglican uh, phrase, 
uh, Father, I would say they've got great vestments, but no priesthood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and no great doctrine. vestments. No doctrine. You don't have to believe anything. The catechism is up for grabs, which is very typically Protestant. You can believe anything you want, but the liturgy is beautiful and good taste, you know. They have nice vestments, too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, in general. And, uh, uh, yeah. But he's, even, he's even modernist in, in how he's trying to deal with it, Father, because you notice he slips the word apparently in there. The Holy, yes. the Holy See is apparently in error. Oh, no. <laughs> it's like, well, <laughs> what, what's the appearance of error here? Uh, it either is or isn't. And you just don't want to say it because he didn't say apparently. He'd have to, he'd have to say he was a set of a contest. So yeah. I, and you're going to watch out for those adverbs. Lawyers love those adverbs. Yes. Those are really weasel words sometimes. Yes, the devil is in the adverbs. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, apparently is, yeah, come on. Your Excellency, I want to, Father has read some objections, and I want to get to those and responses to those objections. But before we do, I want to make sure our our listeners are clear on, is a a rescript chain, if this were a valid catechism and a rescript to the catechism were there, is this universal ordinary magisterium? Has there ever been an instance in church history in which universal ordinary magisterium is wrong? And can a Catholic dissent from or refuse to accept any part of the Universal Ordinary Magisterium? Well, Universal Ordinary Magisterium has some conditions. One, whatever is taught must be contained in Revelation, either implicitly or explicitly. Okay, so that, that's pretty wide, implicitly or explicitly. Secondly, it must be taught by the Universal Church, that is, the Pope and all the bishops together. Now, a catechism issued by the Vatican and accepted and and promulgated by all the bishops. And that means morally, not every single bishop, but most of the bishops, qualifies for that. Catechism is a norm of Catholic faith and teaching. So it qualifies for that. And he's saying that it's not in conformity with revelation, right? So he has, in that sense, lifted it up to to the level of ordinary universal magisterium by saying this is against the gospel. See, so, I mean, he has put it on that level. So uh, I think that it it qualifies, and also it has to be binding. That's another, and a catechism is binding because it is the norm of belief. I mean, that you can pick it up and say, this is the teaching of the church. See, so it fulfills all of those things. And now that isn't to say that everything, say in the Council, the Catechism of the Council of Trent, is is de fide by ordinary universal magisterium, because not all of it is contained in Revelation, say, nor is all of it considered binding. I say so. It could be explanations given of things. You see, just as in councils, there are explanations. Uh, so people have to understand that that not everything in a catechism is necessarily ordinary universal magisterium. But this certainly qualifies because the traditional teaching is ordinary universal. That is, it is contained in the writings of approved theologians, which is one of the sources of it. Uh, it, is, it was universal. Uh, there was absolutely no, uh, it's universally taught. And uh, uh, it's considered, uh, it's based on Revelation, they, they, they cite uh, St. Paul, they cite Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Uh, so it, it is part of, the traditional teaching is part of universal ordinary magisterium, just as 
practically, I would say, 95% of all the church's moral teaching. Most of it is natural law, and the church teaches natural law as binding. So you're not going to find any solemn declaration uh, by a council or anything else that murder is wrong. You're not going to find it. Uh, and uh, the you know, many other things, the stealing is wrong or this or that. Uh, so the, uh, the moral, the, the universal ordinary magisterium concerns actually moral theology more than it does anything else. And so I think that traditional teaching is universal ordinary and that he has elevated his new teaching to ordinary universal. So I think that the you know, Novus Order conservatives are, are in a bind here. You can't just say, well, we can ignore that. It's in, he's saying, I'm changing the catechism. You know, it's not just some sort of, uh, you know, talk that he gave to, uh, you know, the executioners of this world or something. <laughs> I could come to Rome for a private audience, you know, by the way, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. Uh, this, is, this is a change in the catechism. I, I think it has all the qualifications of it. To go back to something that Stephen alluded to earlier, uh, when you look at the introductory material for the catechism, when uh, JP2 promulgated it, it speaks, uh, he says explicitly, that the catechism is, quote, a sure norm for teaching the faith and a sure and authentic reference for teaching Catholic doctrine to assist in the writing of local catechisms while carefully preserving the unity of faith and fidelity to Catholic doctrine. So those, those are quotes from his decree promulgating this. So you, you can't easily, uh, you can't at all weasel out of it and uh, say that, that, well, you're not going to go with this part of it. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's, uh, I mean, a catechism, the approved catechisms of bishops in their dioceses are a norm of universal ordinary magisterium. It's in the books, approved yeah. catechisms. You know, so, I mean, they, they, they are, they've, they're caught. Of course, the Novus Ordo conservatives will just wring their hands all the more. I mean, they probably don't have any fingers left or all their, their fingers are broken by now. But there's so much hand-wringing. But this this will give them a lot of agita. But they'll, they'll do something. They'll, something will, you know, they'll have some way to, to uh, deal with it and move on. Well, well, Father Chicada has been looking into some of those deal with it strategies. So, Father, if you'd like to walk us through some of those well, uh, objections it, and then it's interesting we can that reply even, to those objections. Even there, there seems to be a dispute. Uh, the Catholic News Agency had a very interesting article on the two different uh, two different points of view. That one, of course, one point of view is, of course, well, this is what it claims to be. This is simply, you know, a, a development. There's no no real change. Just a, a question of a practical application. There's no clear break with past teaching. But then there are others who look at it a little more honestly and who say that, well, uh, that it is in fact an absolute prohibition against uh, capital punishment. And one of them, uh, Professor Edward Fazer, in an August 3rd essay says the following, Pope Francis wants the catechism to teach that capital punishment ought never to be used rather than very rarely used. 
And he justifies this change, not on prudential grounds, but, uh, quote, so as to better reflect the development of doctrine on this point, end quote. The implication is that Pope Francis thinks that considerations of doctrine or principle rule out the use of capital punishment in an absolute way. So that's a someone who is, is, is looking at it and who sees that it's, it's something that the, the, the new teaching is treating the use of capital punishment as something that is always and everywhere uh, prohibited, something that is, you know, in effect, uh, intrinsically evil. You have a, a, another professor from Steubenville, which I refer to as Stupidville, in terms of its, its uh, conservative polemics that try to put a uh, more Catholic spin on things. One of the professors says that, well, nothing in the new wording suggests that the death penalty is intrinsically evil. Indeed, nothing could suggest uh, that because it would contradict the firm teaching of the church, unquote. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what we're talking about. Uh, it, it, the other guy uh, the other professor comes back with this. He says, to say as the Pope does that the death penalty conflicts with the inviolability and the dignity of the person, insinuates that the practice is intrinsically contrary to the natural law. And to say as the Pope does that the light of the gospel rules out capital punishment, insinuates that it is intrinsically contrary to Christian morality. So you, you see in someone, someone like that, is, is not willing to try to spin this to uh, make it uh, palatable uh, for those who have the, uh, the, the ostrich mentality of putting their heads in the sand or, or the, what one writer called the pretzel mentality where they sort of bend around and until they, they seem to get the kind of resolution that they want. So it's obvious to these theologians that uh, Bergoglio uh, intends this to be uh, considered as something intrinsically evil, and he's telegraphing that to us, obviously, by saying inadmissible. Yes. Uh, inadmissible in light of the gospel. I mean, you don't need, uh, you know, Google Translate to, you know, to figure that one out. If it's inadmissible in light of the gospel, what, it contradicts the gospel, the gospel won't admit of it. It's something that's evil. It's intrinsically evil. Uh, you know, therefore. So it's always evil. Yeah. No circumstance would justify it. Uh, inadmissible, yes. And then uh, one, one of the um, writers who tries a little bit to uh, weasel out of it says that, well, uh, the Pope's teaching authority demands a certain submission of intellect and will from the faithful. <laughs> At the very least, this means that the Catholic faithful must give the Holy Father's pastoral teaching significant weight in the form of their conscience on this matter, unquote. <laughs> so, well, give, give, give him the benefit a, of the doubt or something. A, a yeah, certain sub, submission is like being a little pregnant. Yeah, yeah, submission. A little yeah. pregnant, or it's like Weight Watchers or something, you know, that they have to give this sufficient weight. There's like a diet. There must be some sort of a diet food for this, I think, a Weight Washers special. Yeah, well, they, they have the point system, you know, and the Vatican should put out how many points this is with regard to weighing it in your conscience. <laughs> 
So once again, it's the same old thing. Um, mm. Yeah, it, the, that uh, you have the ones who are trying to justify it, but in a way that really isn't uh, honest or consistent with reality. And also the underlying theme is anything but sede vacantism. Oh, of course. I mean, we, will, we will just live in a fantasy world concerning Catholic doctrine and the Catholic catechism and all, but not sede vacantism. Oh, no. We will never cross that bridge. <laughs> and, and, so, and, yeah. and, and as I say, Excellency, I've never seen a more a bigger smoking gun if, 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 if that, if that could be used. And, and, uh, to quote, to quote Groucho Marx, uh, who, who are these people going to believe, uh, Francis or their lying eyes? Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the evidence is there and, you know, whatever vagaries people may have talked about with Dignitatis Humanae or Amoris Laetitia, they, they say, Oh, well, that's really complicated. This is not complicated. No, this is a change that's been made to the catechism, the catechism that you hold to as a member of the, the Novus Ordo sect, and it's time to put up or shut up. And I think that this trial balloon will be used for things that are less, that are much more of a hot button issue than mm-hmm. the, the death penalty. And I think this is just the beginning. Yes, because what will they say when the next one comes down, the next change, what will they say? They have no answer for it when it's something more substantial, like LGBT or, or whatever. Or birth control. Yes, birth control. Yes, we've learned more since 1968 and, yes, and, uh, you know, development of human consciousness, etc. And for those listeners who haven't, uh, the, the seminary has a link to Bishop Sanborn's blog. If you go to mhtseminary.org, and His Excellency wrote about the... Irish referendum. He alluded to that earlier in our episode today. And I, again, uh, I think His Excellency intimated it in some, some previous episodes. And in that, in that article, we don't see Francis being that passionate about the abortion issue. He was completely silent, not only in Ireland, but in Ar- his own native Argentina. There could be a change to the, the article on, on abortion as well in the catechism. I, I don't see why not. Sure. No, as I said, it's a hundred megaton bomb, and never has it been dropped before. Well, uh, uh, as our as our listeners may or may not know, it takes quite a lot to surprise uh, His Excellency and Father. They've seen a lot since Vatican II. So uh, the fact that we had to do uh, an emergency episode to to deal with this issue to make sure that both Catholics knew and also Novus Ordo um, adherents who were curious about what the Catholic Church's teaching is on this, we hope that. This episode has been helpful. Um, Your Excellency and Father, as always, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Stephen. All right. Goodbye. Bye now. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not, in fact, the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Thank you.